0: 12 years ago, Oakland native Pierre Rushing was arrested, tried, and convicted for a murder he did not commit. Since then, there's been an ongoing campaign to bring him home. Those chances were slim to none with former DA Nancy O'Malley, but now with a new progressive in the seat who has promised to right the wrongs of the criminal legal system, does that mean Pierre is coming home? Joining us to discuss is Pierre's attorney, Jordan Grotzinger. Good morning, Jordan.
1: Good morning, Kat. How are you?
0: I'm doing all right. Thank you so much for joining the show. Jordan, before we get to the specifics of Pierre's case, I'd like to talk a little bit broadly about wrongful convictions. How pervasive of a problem is that in our criminal legal system?
1: It's very pervasive. If you, the the University of Michigan actually keeps a registry of exonerations, and you can Google that. And if you look it up, you can see that since the late 80s, there have been thousands of Exonerations, I think over 3,000. And of course, these are just the cases where the wrongful conviction was actually discovered. In terms of the ones that have never been discovered, uh, whether that's death penalty cases or people who uh, incorrectly spent decades or their lives in prison, we'll never know. But if you look that registry up, you can see the number. And if you add up the years of life lost, it turns into millions of years of life lost. So uh, unfortunately, it is an imperfect system uh, to which thousands of uh, people have fallen victim.
0: All right, because we don't have a lot of time, I want to talk about Pierre. Tell us about Pierre Rushing and his case. Why is he still sitting in prison?
1: (laughs) That's a great question, and there's no good answer. I think the truth is because the people in charge aren't paying close enough attention to the truth. Here's a summary of the Pierre Rushing case. This was a case of mistaken identity. Um, A drug dealer uh, tragically shot the victim over a stolen iPod. Mr. Rushing was convicted based on the testimony of one witness. Without this witness, there is no conviction. This witness was a serial criminal A seven-time felon, and I'm talking about at the time of the conviction, a serial crack abuser who admittedly was high at the time of the purported identification, changed the description of the perpetrator by six inches, 100 pounds, and skin color, effectively describing a different person, and only identified Mr. Rushing three weeks late. There was no other evidence. He was convicted because, I believe, because he chose to testify, and uh, the the reasons why um, the testimony was used against him, in my view, are kind of ridiculous. For example, he had an alibi. He was at his grandmother's house in the middle of the night on April 15th, 2011, the night of the crime, when the police asked him where he was on April 15th, he said initially he said where he was during the day because they didn't say, where were you at three in the morning? So it was frankly ridiculous stuff like that that just was, the I guess, the feather on the scale that uh, resulted in the conviction on top of this ridiculous testimony He hired some lawyers in post-conviction before we came aboard in 2022, and two other witnesses came forward, one live and one by declaration, because the investigator couldn't find her after she initially signed this declaration. Both of these witnesses said they were there and he wasn't the perpetrator. One of the witnesses, the one who signed the declaration, actually identified the perpetrator. That wasn't enough. Uh, We came aboard... uh, as pro bono lawyers, uh, my firm and I, uh, in early 2022. We hired a very good investigator. And fast forward to uh, February of 2023. We got a sworn statement from yet another witness who is in prison, who did time for the same crime, who also says he was there, Pierre was not. And then, remarkably, uh, the sole witness against Mr. Rushing, we, you know, He disappeared into the streets because he's a petty criminal, but our investigator found him when he popped up on the county jail's radar, actually on Super Bowl weekend of this year. He confessed that uh, his testimony was false, and he, sw- he's, he signed a sworn statement completely recanting his testimony because he wants to come clean and, and correct an injustice 11 or 12 years later. So my question to everybody is, under those circumstances where you've got five witnesses, not including Mr. Rushing himself, who says it wasn't him, a total recantation of the main witness, the only witness, no physical evidence, should someone like that be in prison in this country? Uh, I think the answer is obvious, and I think it's pretty outrageous uh, that the DA has not in my view, and from my perspective, taken a serious look at this yet. And to the contrary, as you know, uh, Kat, we just got uh, an informal brief, a so-called informal brief that basically just punts on all these issues and says that Mr. Rushing should have known earlier because he knew who these witnesses were 12 years ago, and the declarations aren't detailed enough. And I'm happy to speak to why those explanations are frankly absurd.
0: That'd be great, Jordan. Why don't you walk us down that path?
1: Okay, so on on the timeliness issue, you know, I I mentioned that Mr. Rushing had prior lawyers before we came on board. Years ago, one of those lawyers' investigators tried to contact one one of our new witnesses, and he refused to talk. Okay, he had that right. It's a free country. So in terms of timeliness, what was Mr. Rushing supposed to do? Was he supposed to call this guy back from prison once a week and say, hey, I know my investigator reached out and you're not willing to talk. Did you change your mind? Was he supposed to call back once a month, once a year? What's, what's the rule? The truth is there is no rule because that's an absurd logical conclusion. For whatever reason, this guy wasn't willing to talk until our investigator approached him. And, of course, we promptly uh, filed our habeas petition. And similarly, on the sole witness against... Uh, Mr. Rushing. As I mentioned, this is a guy who is a career petty criminal. To his credit, he has now come clean. But, you know, this is not someone who's on the grid and easy to find. And as soon as we took the case, we got a professional investigator to start looking for him. And it took months because of uh, how this guy lives. And he was not. You know, we couldn't locate him until he popped up on the radar on county jail. As soon as that happened, we made the motion. So to say that he should have figured this out 10 years ago is ridiculous. And on the substantive angle, that these declarations were not detailed enough, and the deputy DA in charge who submitted this brief also said that, um, you know, uh, they were pre prepared and therefore lack credibility. Well, two points on that. Number one, what additional detail does one need to say that I was at the scene and this guy wasn't there? What detail do you need for that? It's a pretty simple conclusion. This is not a function of detail. And as to the declarations being pre-prepared, guess what? We knew the truth. We knew that if they were going to tell the truth, this is what they'd say. And you know what? They said it. So they said it. And one of the witnesses, as I mentioned in a prior post-conviction proceeding, actually identified the perpetrator. What has the DA done or the police done in response to that? To my knowledge, absolutely nothing. And it's an outrage. And, uh, you know, another thing that is just sort of mind-boggling is that I've been following up with the DA's office since we got these declarations earlier this year, even before we filed the petitions, to see if they would submit, meaning agree that um, uh, to to go to the court jointly and say this conviction should should be vacated. I haven't gotten a straight answer uh, all these months. And finally, uh, a few weeks ago, the deputy in charge said, he finally at least answered me and said, You know, the the people are not likely to submit based on uh, two declarations. We're going to file a brief, but I'm going to – I plan to interview these two witnesses. And I thought, you know what? Great. Finally, a step in the right direction. I don't expect the DA's office to take our word for it. Go interview the witnesses. And instead, a couple of weeks later, we get this informal brief that says what I just described, that, well, the witnesses – you know, the declarations aren't detailed enough – and Mr. Rushing's not innocent. So I emailed the deputy DA and said, you, you said a few weeks ago that you were going to interview these people. Are you still going to do it? And now his response is, well, if the court issues an order to show cause, means, meaning giving us, gives us an evidentiary hearing, then I may, otherwise I'm not sure. I mean, I, you know, I don't know what's going on over there. I know there is a particularly particular, uh, political climate that may or may not be affecting what's going on. But I'll tell you, it shouldn't have to do, it, it, sh- it should not have anything to do with this case. And Mr. Rushing should not be in the middle because this is not a leniency case. You know, we are not saying, okay, he paid his price. He did his time. No, we're saying he's innocent because of the crazy testimony, uh, that has been recanted, and the parade of witnesses that say it wasn't and, him. So,
0: and Jordan, actually, I actually have to back us up just a little bit. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but, but we forgot to say like, there was a witness, he was with his girlfriend, and she testified. Right. Yes,
1: she did. So,
0: why is, was her testimony not valid, but the word of someone who admittedly um, numbs their trauma with substance several times a day was?
1: That's a, it, well, <laughs> that, that's a great question, and of course there's no good answer. Uh, it, it, the, the, the testimony of the career criminal should not be, have been given more weight than the testimony of his girlfriend. There's no good reason for that, Kat, uh, but it happened, and mistakes happen in trials, and that's why you've got a list of thousands and thousands of people who have been exonerated over the years and millions of years of life lost. And I hope uh, Mr. Rushing is headed for justice here. But, you know, people always say the wheels of justice turn slowly. It's a slow process. Uh, Lord, that is true, but there's no excuse. It shouldn't be slow. Someone should be focusing on this. Someone should be asking, under all these circumstances, should this person still be in prison? Or maybe we should actually talk to these witnesses, maybe investigate the perpetrator that that other witness identified and nobody has looked at. It doesn't make sense in this country. Unfortunately, it happens. And I hope the DA finally does the right thing.
0: What is the weight on Pierre? I mean, I think we should talk about how young he was when he was arrested, how young he still is. When you talk to him, how is he holding up?
1: He's up and down. Uh... He's an intelligent, strong guy uh, who, frankly, um, you know, if I were in his shoes, I can't imagine that I'd be nearly as composed as he is. Uh, How could either of us or anyone not in his shoes possibly comprehend being locked up, being deprived of your 20s indefinitely, purportedly 50 years to life and not knowing when this is going to be corrected? I don't know how I'd put one foot in front of the other or put two words together that are coherent but he does. Um uh, it's up and down, you know, it was really hard for him when we got these declarations and particularly the recantation of the soul witness um because, you know, in his mind it was like okay, why aren't the prison doors just snapping open? I, I told you, and now he's come clean, and so why am I still here? And it was very hard for him, it still is very hard for him, to get his head around how slow this process is and how imperfect it is with all the you know, the different people working on it. I, I don't know who's talking to who over there. I can't imagine that Ms. Price is on board with this brief that I just mentioned, if, if she I is who she purports to be. Um, I can't imagine it. So I, I don't know what's happening in that office. Uh, and, unfortunately, Mr. Rushing is stuck in the middle, uh, and he has his good days and his bad days. And, uh, and, he, and he's, I'll tell you, he's doing a lot better than I ever would in these circumstances.
0: Yeah, I I, I I, cannot imagine. Um, what is next, Jordan, in the legal proceedings?
1: We have a response to their informal brief due on October 5th. Uh, so we are preparing that now, and we're going to explain why their arguments have no merit, as I summarized uh, earlier. So we'll continue going through the legal process, and... Um, We'll wait for the judge's ruling if the and look, I I promised Pierre, I told Pierre that I can't guarantee anything except that we won't stop, and we won't. So we will continue with this process for as long as it takes. If the judge agrees with us and gives us an evidentiary hearing, we will proceed, and hopefully that will result in the conviction being vacated. If ultimately the court denies relief, we will appeal it uh, to the maximum extent, and we won't give up because we know the truth. Uh, On a parallel track, I will continue to keep looking for opportunities like this, and thank you for bringing me on, Kat, to bring awareness to this case and to cases like this, uh, because actually, you know, I got involved in this space about three and a half years ago from... precisely from hearing a conversation similar to this on a podcast uh, by by a lawyer and, a, and now a friend of mine um, who was working on these cases. So it's important to talk about them and bring awareness. And I hope that somewhere, um, you know, this reaches the right person or persons in the DA's office and they start to treat this case with the urgency that it deserves.
0: And I, I, We only have like 60 seconds or so left, but I do think it's important to note that this is not actually the type of work you do. You took this case pro bono. Why? In 60 yes. seconds. Yes,
1: I did. Uh, in 60 seconds. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll speed talk if you don't mind. In August of 2020, it was the sick of the pandemic. I was driving down Sunset Boulevard. I was listening to Joe Rogan because the subject matter was interesting to me. It was two people talking about wrongful convictions. I'm a lawyer, it's relevant to my job. I was listening. The hosts were Jason Flom and Josh Dubin, both of whom are involved in these cases. I'd encourage everybody to go back and listen to that episode because it encouraged, it inspired me to get involved in this work. My day job is I'm a civil litigator. I'm a business trial lawyer who does trade secret and entertainment litigation for a large firm called Greenberg-Trorig. But to my firm's credit, we have a very robust pro bono program. And when I heard about these cases and these people who are disappearing into the system, I thought, you know, I have this license. Uh, What? How fulfilling it would be to, to just uh, pursue justice in such a pure way with no expectation of anything in return, no payment, nothing, just justice. And, and in these cases, it's really an ultimate form of justice because it is the ultimate injustice when somebody is wrongfully incarcerated uh, or sent to death row.
0: Jordan Godsinger, thank you for taking on this case, for bringing aware to Pierre's case. Hopefully my listeners will be activated to get involved. I certainly am. And thank you for coming on the show.
1: Thank you very much, Kat.
0: You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive.